You're listening to the Voices in Education podcast, powered by Securely, where we hear from new voices and explore new ideas about how we can reimagine education to support whole student success. Education is at an inflection point. As we grapple with complex challenges like funding and enrollment, as well as diversity, equity, and safety, we also have an opportunity, an opportunity to reimagine education. Now more than ever, we know the importance that students' overall well-being plays in their success. They need to feel supported and safe and connected to be able to engage in their learning and achieve to their full potential. Join your host, Casey Agena, a former teacher turned instructional coach and technologist, as he interviews inspirational educators, school leaders, wellness professionals, and more to amplify their voices. You'll learn about the innovative work they're doing to support student safety, engagement, and overall wellness. And who knows, you may even spark a new idea of your own. Ready to reimagine education? Let's go. I'm your host, Casey Agena. And today's episode, we are talking about the community school model. Lauren Campion, longtime friend, she's been a catalyst for much of the changes that were really needed in the Lowell Public Schools community, which is located just outside of Boston. We're going to hear about work that she's done to really enable the school, the community, parents, and students to work together to address the needs that many of them had, particularly around student wellness. Welcome, Lauren, and glad to have you here. Thanks for having me here, Casey. So we had a great discussion uh, pre-show about your work and about community schools and why they are so important, and particularly in your community. So help us out a little bit. What what is a community school and what role does it play in your community? So the community school model is an educational strategy to support students and families um, and community members to thrive, as you said. So it's, it transforms the school into a hub for neighborhood services um, in a few areas, health and wellness, post-secondary readiness, um, and enrichment programming after school. And it does this by engaging the local um, partners as resources. So agencies who are, you know, their sole focus is to provide, you know, wellness services, health services, um, career services. They are, you know, leveraged by the school district to provide those services on site at the school. And this helps, um, you know, address out of school barriers that students may have to, um, you know, that hinder their success in the classroom and, um, you know, just makes, sets the stage for them to be more successful in school. So, so when you talk about partners and like community partners, who are they, particularly in Lowell? And why, why is it important for them to say like, hey, you know, we want to be a partner with Lowell Public Schools and this community school model? Well, the goal of partnering, um, why they want to be partners with us is because we all have the same overarching goals that we have, you know, successful, productive, um, engaged community members here in Lowell. So the partners that we work with, we have nonprofit partners, um, we have a mentoring 
partner who provides during and after school support for students um, to guide them along their path to their diploma and, you know, sets them up for for a next step Mm. post-secondary based on their interests. We have an urban farming partner um, that has school <laughs> gardens where students can learn, you know, how to how to grow their food and and learn culinary skills to prepare healthy snacks. Um, you know, families can receive free shares of of the crops during the growing season, um, and community members can actually like rent a a plot at these school gardens um, oh. to to have a, a space to grow things, which is not as common in you know an urban environment. Um, we also have the local job, um, you know, career center who helps students get internships during school, part-time paid jobs and internships outside of school hours and through the summer months where we know that sometimes engagement in education can start to fall off without that um, right. structured school environment. So those are a few of our, our partners. We have, you know, close to 20 partners. Now we have a bike program that helps students and and adults get to and from school and work, all sorts of different opportunities that already exist in the community, but we create formal partnerships to bring them to serve the students at our schools. And the target audience in terms of the students you identify that are like, they really need this type of model, like how are they identified or is it for everybody in Lowell public schools? Is it, is it both? Is it either like, how how does that work? Sure. So I think that the end goal is it's a universal strategy that t- you know reaches all students. Um, but we do have you know ways to identify tiers of of risk. Um, we have social emotional screenings, and we have you know teacher or social work staff um, referral set up where you know they say oh this student you know they can't see the whiteboard they you know their grades have been slipping so could you hook them up with our vision partner and then we'll have a vision van come to the school periodically to um, <laughs> give glasses you know do an eye exam and give prescription glasses for free to students so that that sort of thing the the, the identification process is um, it's, you know, it's comprehensive. There are different mm-hmm. ways for students to be identified as in need of support. And then, of course, we like to have as much family awareness as possible. We, you know, give information out on the different programs we provide and have people opt right. into them as well. And this model that is employed at uh, Lowell Public Schools is not unique, right? There, there's a models that vary, yet are similar across the country, correct? Absolutely. Yes. So, so we're, you know, there are not as many community schools up in Massachusetts, but there are communities, you know, whole states that, that employ this strategy at a state education policy level. We work with a federal, the federal government um, who provides grants to communities to, you know, implement partnerships, community school services at their schools as a, a strategy for school improvement. And we also have partnered with folks in, in other states who are doing the same work as us. The Harlem Children's Zone actually was all the way back in the 70s, and that was the inspiration of, of the community school model, as I understand it. Right. Um, it's been going on for a while, um, you know, especially in these like urban areas with high poverty. So a little personal question then, like, how did you get started in this? Like, what was the thing that got you committed to this, working at Lowell Public Schools? How did, how did you get in here in the first place? 
Well, I was I took an interest to community schools, um, I don't know, eight or nine years ago when I was in graduate school at Brown University's Urban Education Policy Program. Um, we studied it as an educational strategy in class. Um, so I and there was actually a local initiative going on in Providence at the time. So that's how I became familiar with it. And I just thought it was it really clicked for me um, because there are barriers that students face outside of the classroom um, that can dictate their trajectory educationally Mm -hmm. that, you know, more students from more affluent communities don't face. Um, They might have access to all of the wraparound services and enrichment services already just by virtue of, you know, being born into privilege. So I thought that, you know, if education is truly a public good, we need to to broaden our strategy and and really leverage the, the many resources at our disposal, um, who also have the goal of supporting supporting communities with more economic struggles. Got it. We had uh, talked a, a little bit about an idea of at risk, students at risk, and really services to support those particular students. I think there's many definitions to that term at risk from a lot of different people. How do you all define at risk? And what do we mean by that? particularly at, uh, in your community at, in, in Lowell? I would define as at risk as students who are on a path to not completing high school. And this can be, you know, based on various indicators. You could see chronic absenteeism, um, which has risen across the country mm-hmm. during the pandemic as a result of, you know, a disconnect from school. Students are not engaged um, at the same levels that they were pre-pandemic due to, to the break in education, you know, remote learning, economic hardship that their families might be facing, a pull of, of employment, you know, lots of jobs available for, for young teenagers that might be more enticing at the moment than finishing their education. So all, all the, those, you know, indicators, which would put a student on a, on a path to dropping out. Mm. So that's that's what we would define as, as at risk. And I think that you could see that all the way down in middle elementary school level, just through sure. absences, grades, behavior, um, you know, social emotional scales that our self-report or that staff report on. You touched upon it. So we'll, we'll open up that Pandora's box about pandemic and COVID. And we know uh, across the country, as we're seeing schools kind of open up, face-to-face, we're seeing services, uh, being able to really meet with families and whatnot a a little bit more broadly. How did COVID, or looking at the past 24 months, uh, let's say the past two years, how did that affect the students and families that you serve? I think there was a way that you did it pre-pandemic, and then you had to kind of shift things around. And then now it's like in the different phase of that. So what, what, what has that looked like in the short kind of uh, 24 month timeline uh, with your work? Well, it's definitely been a challenge. That's for sure. <laughs> um, we, you know, Im- Im- immediately we pivoted like the rest of the world to um, remote based services in the early pandemic, um, March, 2020. And since then, you know, of course we've, we've reopened, we've been able to, get some of those in-person services back. But we have seen, you know, just what's kind of left um, with the landscape of of student engagement and school connectedness um, at an all-time low, mm-hmm. at least in, in in my experience with this um with this district. So I think 
long story short, throughout the pandemic, we we saw you know a greater need for these types of wraparound services. We saw some success, especially with our you know our partners who have that direct positive adult relationship art that had already been established with our students, um, students who were you know not interested in going to online classes or just feeling hopeless and trying to ride out the end of a pandemic that never came, and you know just having our partners re-engage them, say, look, you can do this. This is what you, you know, this is what you have to do. We can help you with a job. We can help you, you know, earn your money right now, but you also need to focus on getting these credits. So we were, you know, we were lucky to have already a, a blended learning platform that we've used and, and a, an online um, remote tutoring um, program, you know, staffed by our, our school staff and mm -hmm. uh, supported by our various partner agencies. So we were, you know, successful in, in engaging. We actually had a record number of students graduate through our engagement center program, which is an alternative program here um, that does um, a hybrid tutoring for competency-based credit recovery. Mm -hmm. We we had about um, seventy students or so graduate through that last year, which is um, about nine percent, nine to ten percent of the district senior class graduated through it. So oh. we were, you know, we were well positioned to serve increased need, but the need is still there. It's vast. We are relying on our partners to find creative ways to engage, re-engage students, um, you know, now more than ever. Let's take a short break to hear a word from our sponsor. The Voices in Education podcast is brought to you by Securely. Pioneering the student safety movement in 2013, Securely continues to lead the charge in innovative education technology. As the only whole student success platform for K-12 education, Securely helps schools ensure student safety, increase student and family engagement, proactively support student wellness, and optimize student device and technology initiatives. More than 15,000 schools worldwide choose Securely to help them keep students safe, engaged, and well. To learn how Securely can support your school, visit www.securely, that's S-E-C-U-R-L-Y.com. And now back to the interview. You mentioned a little bit about the blended learning and the online aspect of your work. Was that new? Is that something that you, you, you always had in place in terms of helping the students graduate and getting them what they needed from a learning aspect, or uh, is that something that was already there? Um, it was put in place when our um, our alternative high school, the Career Academy, um, became a community school in 2015. So that was part of our initial scope of work with, with the community school program. We added an after-school and evening remote hybrid type of um, oh. tutoring program for competency-based credit recovery. So thankfully, you know, we already had the structure and the capacity and the experience to respond to this growing need. It was, you know, exponentially growing during the pandemic. Right. Students needed this type of extra support. So you also support from a almost like a help desk kind of side of things with the families and the students as well. Access not not, not, not as broad as as a help desk role. We right we have, a, we have students you know who are identified as at risk of dropping out who can't attend the traditional school day. You know they're mm. they're absent. They're you know they're working. They might be pregnant or parenting. Um, they just have barriers to attending 
you know, traditional 7.30 a.m., 2.30 p.m. school. Got so it. we have, you know, that program, program existed back then on a, on a smaller scale um, for, for those students who just needed to finish their high school diploma in a flexible way. Um, so we were able to meet that need. And then, of course, greater numbers of those students were referred to us during the pandemic. Oh, one piece of that that we talked about earlier, and I want to highlight for everyone uh, listening in, was with our 21st century uh, kids and uh, students that we work with, access to learning and teaching and something where they're progressing towards uh, graduation is is one thing. Uh, another piece of that is how they communicate, how they connect, maybe not necessarily with us, but definitely with each other. And I think that has almost been amplified a little bit during the pandemic. They really needed to connect. If they are at risk and some of those students are falling through the cracks, and but there's indicators out there of needing help. And it might be through a peer, maybe it's through another social media platform or something like that, that we're, we're getting these. How does that play in terms of activity of students when they may be off the grid a little bit, but we're, we're seeing some of these breadcrumb trails uh, online of their students, where they are, who they're connecting with, how much of that plays into being um, complementary eyeballs, I guess, to, to knowing where students are, how they're doing. Th- does that play a role in, in your work or your team on uh, identifying kids? Absolutely. So I would say that you need to have a school environment in place where students have at least one positive adult support um, that they can go to, whether that's a school staff, for example, the social worker would be, you know, the the first staff that would come to mind as being in tune with students' social emotional health. But in addition, we have the complementary supportive partners, mentors, you know, the career center pathways coach who is working with a student to get them a job. Anyone might hear things or might be informed by a student who is bringing to their attention a, a peer concern. Um, mm. So whoever is, is the first person in the, you know, the network of support who hears this would, you know, communicate with the team and, you know, set, set a plan of action into place. We have school-based counseling services um, mm. as part of the community school model that we're hoping to deepen this coming year because of the increased need. Um, but I would say that identification, the most important thing is that that somebody in this network of, of supports hears it and then is able to then respond with a team approach and just really identifying what the most acute need is, what the, what the priority need is for that student to find some relief. We have a number of uh, educators and student wellness providers and number of folks working with children and students uh, in schools across the country, across the, across the globe as part of our audience. If this is something that, you know, their school or their district is, they're on the cusp of like wanting to do this, how do they get started? They, you know, they, they want to do this work and, and maybe it's talked about and we're seeing a lot of need and also a lot of money as well uh, available through COVID response and stimulus money. What would be your advice to a district or a school that's in, you know, we know these wraparound services are helpful aspirationally, but now operationally, how do we start? How do, how do we get started on this? Well, I would first recommend doing some, you know, some basic research on the community school model, the essential um, four pillars of a community school model, 
seeing what's been done before, not trying to reinvent the wheel and look for local and state funding sources because they're really increasing nowadays. So look for things like community schools, um, systems of support, integrated students of support, things like that that could support partnerships, um, you know, to respond to the, the priority needs of your specific localized community um, and then convene the team. So, you know, bring to the table the different stakeholders in the different fields, you know, career services, business leaders, healthcare providers, Families and community members are very important. And of course, our teachers who are the front lines, they, you know, they see the need every day for seven hours right there in front of them. So you want to hear what your localized community could benefit from the most. And then you also want to, you know, ground it in some some broad strategy that's been proven to have effect, um, you know, have strong impact on all sorts of indicators of, of school success. And then the last thing I'd recommend is you definitely need a school-based resource coordinator could be mm. called a you know a community school manager or a specialist, but you do need a full-time dedicated staff um, to do this model with fidelity because that person would be coordinating and case managing the all the various partnerships and student involvement in them. I want to highlight a couple of things uh, that you spoke to, Lauren. One, helping us define what is community schools. Because I, I, you know, we hear about it, but not really knowing what it is. And it was really great to hear about what's happening uh, in Lowell. And that idea of at risk, that's another kind of term that we hear and we see, but what does it really mean? And then what are the solutions out there to help support those? And if we want to get started on this and we know it works and we know that it's something that is needed, how do we get started? So Lauren, I want to thank you for your time, uh, lending your voice to Voices in Education and, and giving us a, an idea of your work. Thanks thank so you. much, Casey. Thanks for tuning in to the Voices in Education podcast powered by Securely, where we hear from new voices and explore new ideas about how we can reimagine education to support whole student success. If you enjoyed today's episode, We hope you'll consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with others who would benefit from listening. Even a small act of support helps us reach more people and make a bigger impact. For the resources from today's episode and additional details about the podcast, please visit www.securely.com forward slash podcast. And until next time, Thanks for listening.